Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Where the world is, you, you think about this task. You know, I, I hate to even call it a task, but this, this responsibility that we have to represent God in this world. You know, that, that's what he says. He says, you're new creatures, you're ambassadors. Now go into the world and tell people God is no longer holding their sins against them and for them to be reconciled back to the Father. That's our responsibility to go into the world proclaiming and declaring the finished work of the cross, proclaiming and declaring the establishment of the new covenant, displaying the power of having been translated into that kingdom, but just telling people, God is not mad at you. God loves you. God accepts you in Christ. It's like the simplest message you could come up with. I think people are tired of hearing it because there's no faith mixed with it any longer. You have to mix faith with what you say you believe or it's meaningless to you. Did you hear that? Yes. I'm telling you, man. It's, those, sometimes grace people are like, faith, what are you talking about? I gotta, now I've got to do something? It's not performance. It's not, you're not alleviated of your responsibility to believe, but it takes faith to enter into that realm of being persuaded of his love for you. You know, are, are you, when you are seeking and endeavoring to connect with him, are you opening yourself up? Are you letting him influence you? Are you yielding to him? Are you engaged with him? Are you, are you there? Are you present? You ever pray in tongues and you just, you catch yourself thinking about something else? It's like, I'm praying in the spirit here, but I, I my mind is totally disengaged. Well, you may as well just pick up a symbol and start banging on it, you know, it doesn't. I don't know if you can go that far with it, but <laughs> something's probably happening. But man, you know, believers, unfortunately, it's just an external exercise in culture to say we're Christians rather than living from this faith perspective spiritually with God. And if we do that, you become less critical, you become less judgmental, you become less focused on, are they saying it right or saying it wrong? And it's, then it becomes about, what's it going to take to reach this person? Yeah. What's it going to yes. take to break through yes. whatever it is that's holding them back so that they have their own relationship with God? You ever look at someone and think, man, they're too far gone. Maybe it's in the mirror. Or you take this, you, 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 you're responsibly taking it upon yourself to represent God, but it feels more like a task. Like, these people, I don't know that, you know, these people, I, I, they're, they're, they're beyond reproach. That's what it is. These people are so far gone, they'll never be saved, so let's just label them sinners and they're on their way to hell. Well, that way we don't have to take the responsibility to go love those people. That group of people over there, they're just too far gone. You hear that? In church? I want to read you something. Don't, don't put this passage up yet because it's a different translation. But this is talking about Jesus and how he sees people. And 
this, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the prodigal son today. <clears throat> but watch how it gets set up. The context of who he is speaking to when he tells the story about the prodigal. I'm going to read this out of the New Living paraphrase just because it's, you get more of the concept of what's going on here. But are you, most of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, right? This is who he's talking to when he tells the story and how other people respond. Just watch this. This is Luke 15, verse 1 in the New Living. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Man, I, I, want, I want that to be said about me. I want it to be said of me that when I'm around notorious sinners, they like to hear the teaching, not because we're preaching some feel-good message, but because like the woman caught in adultery, she experiences deliverance from condemnation, acceptance, and empowerment to live differently from now forward. It's the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. Amen. It is the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. Yeah, when God would execute judgment, it would bring repentance. Many times He would, he would send the good news, the, the message of deliverance into the land first to proclaim a deliverance. Then they had the opportunity to repent, and then if they didn't, then the judgment. I hear too many preachers it's like they're excited for God to send judgment, thinking that that's what's going to change the world or something. <laughs> I need to say that again. I'm, I'm really not trying to say that we're better or they're wrong. It's just, it's like, no, let, let's look at how Jesus did it. And this says of Jesus that notorious sinners often came to hear him teach. I, honestly, when I was preparing this message, I just, for this week, I sat and thought about that for about 30 minutes. Just thought what that would look like, you know. Man, that's just not the way we live. We, the church, is it? We stay away from them. You know, we start talking about reaching sinners and then somebody posts on your Facebook comment, yes, but you are to come out from among them and not be of any like, whatever it says about that passage. <laughs> That's right. Or hole up in the church. You know, you guys that are out there <clears throat> working your jobs, man. Did, did, you ever, did you go through that phase where you felt like the ultimate success of being spiritual was that you got a job in the ministry? You, did any of you come out of those kind of backgrounds? Yeah. It's like, it's like the carrot dangled was you'll finally arrive when you get in the ministry. Well, you better not even attempt it unless you absolutely know you're called. And then, man, what about the world? What about the world? You know, that's why we don't create a bunch of programs in this church and put a bunch of expectations on you guys because I want to live my life. <laughs> I want to be out there, you know. Let's live it together out there. Let's reach people. So watch what happens then. Verse 2, still in the New Living, Luke 15 this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain. The, the, the people that would come to hear Jesus preach, the religious people didn't like it. 
This is not a badge of honor that religious people are critical of our church. You know, that's not the goal. That's not the point. It's a more mature perspective than that. In that, are we expressing the heart of God? And the byproduct, byproduct is going to be the people that think that you change people by making them obey the law are going to get upset because they don't understand the proper understanding of how to understand. You understand? The law externally was written in stone and on parchments, and it, were, it, were, it was a set of how to live successfully. It was never meant to produce righteousness. It was never capable of producing holiness. It was only to keep them alive, keep them from killing each other, keep them at a place where they lived in such a way where they could cohabitate with the visiting presence of God. You know, you got to think about it. They were slaves for 400 years. They came out of Egypt. God was like, all right, don't be killing each other. Don't be sleeping with each other's wives. Treat your kids with respect. Kids, treat your parents with respect. You know, and it ran down the list. And if you really look at the Ten Commandments, it's just kind of common sense of don't be barbarians. They were living as animals for 400 years. That was their mentality. They were thrown in the pits to work and had no real governance, you know. They just were just animals. I mean, they had, they, they, some of them, you know, walked with God through the process, but you understand that God brought them out to, to protect them and keep them alive. So the law is not this thing that we use that as a, de, as a, as a mark of once people are doing all these things right or, here's what's difficult is in kind of more gift-focused churches, there's like an unwritten, quote-unquote, spiritual set of laws that you're supposed to be able to keep to prove your, spirit, your spirituality or your worth. You ever been in those places where it's like, man, I better be getting up and talking about prophesying all the time and giving this and that, and that, that's what's going to really make me feel like I'm accepted. But... Under the new covenant, one of the main things that was prophesied was that God will give you a new heart and on this heart will have the law of God written and he will write it in your mind. In other words, we don't have to look externally to try to figure out how to do right. God has changed us in our core to know exactly the best way to live in this planet with him. So if we choose sin, it's like I've been talking about for a few weeks. If we choose sin, it's because you have forgotten that you are dead in Christ. You have forgotten that you rose again with Christ. And that that dead man, that old man that was separated from God, that old man that was a sinner, that old man that didn't know who God was, is dead. And if you choose sin, it's because you're thinking like that old man, but that doesn't make you the old man. It's just because you don't know who you are and you want a different way of thinking other than what's natural. See, it should be so natural for us to follow God that we don't even think twice about it. But Christianity, you know, religion has put us in this place where we have to, we think we have to pray for some external guidance to be given down to us and then once we receive that information then we know where we're supposed to go because we've been taught your heart's wicked you can't trust your heart 
Really? God gave me a new heart and it's wicked? God gave me a new heart and what he's trying to do is break it so I will trust him? I don't think so. God gave me a new heart that knows how to follow him naturally. God gave me a new heart that I don't have to try to figure out what God is telling me if I am convinced of who I am in him and I'm naturally being led and motivated by where his spirit is leading me. See, we pray and ask God to show up and change external things. Don't we? It's like, God, got this bill, got this problem. My husband's doing this. My wife's doing this. Change her, change him the other way around. Do something, God. God, do something. God, you've made me these promises. You said that I can have this stuff. This is going on over here. Please, I need you to show up and change that. And then if we're a little less self-centered, maybe we'll pray, God, change me. But man, I, I really feel that we can live from this place of no matter what's going on out here, it's not even the focal point of our relationship with God, but that our approach toward Him is, I trust you, I believe you, when Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit is given, and I think you get it all at one time. You get born again, you get the Holy Spirit. There's not a second indwelling. You don't have to come and tarry at the altar and wait for the baptism. You get Jesus 100% when you're born again. It's up to you whether or not you're going to yield to that leading or not. Sometimes that means yielding to the gift of praying in the Spirit. But you don't have to wait for some external gift. Understood? <laughs> so, you know, we pray for externals to change rather than just yielding to the Spirit of God and trusting that as we are yielded to God and move forward in this life, we will make decisions consistent with where God is leading us naturally. What would it be like for you if you made decisions and you were confident that you were walking with God and not constantly questioning whether or not it was God's will for you? It's possible. And it's not some place that you got to get to through spiritual performance. It's a resting. It, it is a yielding to His influence. It is a yielding to the power that He has within you. See, this is more of a conceptual message than it is, let me read you from scriptures and teach you some doctrine. You know what I mean? Because this is a way of following God that's not normal in this world. We pray for information. We pray because we feel like we lack some knowledge. God, I don't know what to do. Give me some information. God, I don't know what's going on here. Teach me something that I feel like I don't already have. Rather than, God knows everything. He knows exactly where to lead me, exactly where to guide me. Jesus said that when I have the Holy Spirit, He would lead and guide me into all truth. Tell me what the Father is saying. Show me things to come. Is the Holy Spirit doing that or not? Jesus said he would. I don't think God ever is silent. He's a, a light that never turns off. And the areas that we open our hearts to let that light shine into get brighter and brighter and brighter. And it's a natural fruit of yielding to him. But see, we don't trust the Holy Spirit. 
we think we've got to, he, the, even when he teaches us, we've got to get some information. I've got to understand that information. Then I have to do that thing. Rather than, God, I want to be more evangelistic. I want to show people your love naturally. I want to walk in your power. And yielding to that and then going forward and living your life and stepping out and trusting, you're following God. Man, I'm telling you, you follow God better when you don't think about it than when you try to figure out what you're supposed to do. You just do. Because it's spiritual and it's natural and it's not intellectual. You follow God better accidentally in those moments where you're making conversation uh, decisions from a place of confidence. There shouldn't be this weird dichotomy of, God, what am I supposed to do? It should just look like this is what I'm going to do. And because I know God loves me and because I have taken the time to invest in this relationship, I know I'm going to make the decisions that God's leading me to do. The, you, see, you see what I'm saying? You're just not constantly questioning. It's a confidence that comes. It's a boldness that comes. But it comes through experiencing His love for you, His acceptance for you. It just does. You know, I'm not saying that you're just going to jump out and everything, every decision that you make is godly. Because we know we're going to miss it and make mistakes sometimes. But man... If we could get to a place where, we're, where we stop trying to get God to show up, and that, but, but just yield to Him and trust that He's changing us, it, it changes. It's even hard to kind of explain the concept. I think you're seeing what I'm saying, though. You know, it's like you just, you pray for Him to instruct you and continually transform you into that image of His dear Son. You pray to come into a, that your heart is in agreement with where he's leading you and guiding you. And then you live your life trusting that you are yielding to his leading, trusting that he is actually transforming you. Because that's the thing that he promised, that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, that he, or Jesus, he gave us the spirit that's constantly speaking to us. But we don't have confidence because we wonder if God's upset with us. We wonder if we're going to miss it. We wonder if we're going to get it right. We wonder if we're going to get it wrong. We, we're so busy trying to police so much of what's being said out there, we don't even know what we believe. You ever catch yourself doing that? It's like you're in a conversation or maybe on Facebook and you're like commenting on something. You're like, wait a minute, I don't even know what I believe about that. What the heck am I doing? Man, we do that. And we do it to ourselves. But with Jesus, you see, the natural response when people encounter his love is they just trust him. And what I'm trying to explain to you is that when you actually trust him, he is active and will transform those areas of your life that you're trying to get him to show up and change externally. We're trying to get him to change a situation. He's trying to transform our hearts. So that when we approach that situation, we handle it like he would. And it's not just a rescue and it's not just a snatching you out of harm's way type thing. Where you don't even need miracles. Because you just follow God. You eat the right things. You go to the right places. You're around the right people. You minister to the right 
people. You choose the right jobs. All that stuff. It's natural. It's very natural for you to follow God. Because you're created in His image. We make it harder than we think. We make it, we make it really hard. I'm telling you, some of you if, you, could, if you could pop into that dimension and put your life against where God has been leading you, you're probably not that far away in a lot of areas. Some areas you're right in the middle of it and you hadn't even thought about that area of your life because you just trust God in that area. You don't even think about it. Is this making sense? I mean, I know, I know this could be taken wrong and people can read stuff into this. Again, I'm trying to create a concept more than trying to teach you a doctrine. So take this back to the cross how you would. So <clears throat> you look at Jesus. He's talking to notorious sinners and tax collectors who are ripping people off that the whole world hates. I mean, it's like Jesus hanging out with the IRS or something. <laughs> you know, at least they try to govern themselves by laws. But these tax collectors, they just, they got the authority and it was just, it was just a given they would abuse it. I think, well, I stopped myself. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> I know Mike wants to take the microphone now, so I'll talk about the others. <laughs> uh, but you, you see Jesus reaching the world. That's really what I'm wanting to talk about today is just this idea that there is a broken world out there. There are people out there that have no clue that God really loves them. Because maybe some Christian said, God loves you, but judged their behavior. And so it, drew, yeah. it drove them further away. Yes, See, we have to be so convinced of God's acceptance and God's love for us and God's transformative power within us that when we minister His love, we then trust the Holy Spirit to work within them and not our deliverance sessions and not our classes and not our books and teachings and all this stuff. It's like, no, the Holy Spirit is pretty smart. But the way I get people to let Him in is love them. And as they open their hearts to Him, watch the Holy Spirit work. It's just true. That, you will become one of the most powerful ministers, believers on the planet if you can love unconditionally and bring people to the truth at the same time. See, there's a difference between factual information and truth. Truth is always rooted in love. You might, convince, you might tell people accurate information about where they are and their sin and their this, and you've got a diagram of how wrong they are. But truth can bring them to the same conclusion, but it's rooted in love, which is empowering. Man, I'm preaching to myself now. Can we do that? Can we make that shift to represent God in love, not being afraid to speak the truth, you know, grace, mercy, being love-focused, leading with love, doesn't compromise. It's not willing to change the definition of marriage. It's not willing to change laws that protect people in certain areas. It's not about sitting down and taking a back seat and just trusting that God's love's going to, you know, kind of fix everything. No. 
I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know. I make joke about it, but we'll leave that kind of stuff up to Mike and those guys that are caught in the, that area. But for us, are we more interested in convincing people that we're right about where they're wrong or showing them the love of God to the degree that they open their hearts to Him and, the, and maybe begin to have a chance to change? Yeah. It comes down to, do we trust that the Holy Spirit will do what He said He would do? I think He will. I think He's just itching for the opportunity to do that. He is just waiting for us to ooze a little bit of love on people so they will open their heart to Him and He can get to work. You see someone trapped in a sin, you you deal with it. You approach them. You help them. You... You don't leave somebody stuck in their sin, but is it from truth in that it's rooted in love? Or is it just, I'm uncomfortable, you know, here's what a lot of Christianity is. I'm uncomfortable with what you're doing, so if I can see a little bit of guilt within you, then I'll be comfortable proceeding from from where I'm standing. Does that make sense? Because for some reason we think that if we just accept someone, that that's like approving of their behavior. Man, I'm telling you, the absolute only chance the world has is for the body of Christ to start loving the world. It's the only formula he gave. He said, if we have love for one another, it will be a sign to the world that we follow Jesus. And as we gather together, the world will believe. As we love them, the world will believe. So you look at the heart of the father in this prodigal son story. The prodigal son was probably around 18 or 20 years old. He had a rich father. He had an older brother. And the younger brother went to the father. And essentially what he said was, you're better off dead to me. So just go ahead and give me my third, because that's probably what the younger brother would have gotten. And I'll be on my way. I mean, how disrespectful can you get? It wasn't just... uh, selfishness in that he wanted to go live riotously, <laughs> as King James puts it. No, he, he, he's like, I'm done with you. See, because he knew that that inheritance was his. He knew that he could live in that household and what that father had would be passed down to him. But apparently there was an issue with the father. He wanted to just get something from the father and go live how he wanted to live. With no accountability, just give me what is mine and I'm going to go over here and live separate from you with no accountability to you, not engaging in your family. And I'm just going to go over here and do my thing. We do that, man. We, we do that with God. God, give me this. God, I want this power. I want to operate in this power. It's like we start getting some confidence. See, because you can operate in any power you want to because you have the Holy Spirit within you if you're a believer. And you have people that do that, you know. I mean, they show up to Jesus at the end like, hey, we were over here casting out devils and prophesying in your name. He's like, I didn't know you. That stuff you think that you were doing, you think you were doing it for me? You were doing it for you. You got your inheritance of walking in the power and you went over there and you did your thing and you didn't even pay attention to my leading. 
that's just kind of a side note. Maybe that was for somebody that's listening to the CD because that didn't. None of y'all are in that category. I know that so. So he goes out, spends all his money, and gets to a place where he has to feed pigs. He convinces some guy to give him a job feeding pigs. Now this, for a Jew, that's a, that's a no-no. Then he comes to the mentality, oh man, it would be better to be a servant in my father's house than live this way. Man, there is, that's a whole sermon in itself right there. This is what we do. We, as believers, members of God's family, because we are so guilty from the way that we've lived, there's no chance that we're going to see ourselves as God's son. But a servant, maybe, yeah. If I can, I'm going to keep God at arm's distance here, call myself a servant because I feel guilty for the way that I've been living and I'll just, that's my excuse of how I'm going to live kind of on the outskirts. And what happens? He goes home. The father recognizes him after years of being gone, sees him, recognizes him, immediately runs to him. This is God. This is our father. We turn back to him. He runs to us. He takes off his own garment and throws it on the son and gives him a ring. The ring signifies the authority. The father says, I share my authority with you. Now we know that biblically. Hebrews 1, it talks about Jesus inherited all things. And in other places that he was given a name above all names. Everything that Jesus inherited, Jesus shares with us. We are joint heirs with him. I mean, just to think about that, really, is incredible. So you go back to your father. You bring the lost to your father immediately. Here, take my family garment. Take my authority. So there's nothing between us any longer. It's like God said, I'm just going to give you everything so you don't have to play this game of coming to me and sucking up and trying to figure out how to get stuff out of my hands. Just take it all. Now do you want to have a relationship? That's, that's like my translation. But he's not withholding. We know that he's not withholding because after he accepts the son back in, the older brother who kind of represents the religious mentality. He's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? I've been here all along. What are I, where's my fatted calf? Where's my party? I didn't get a party. And the father says, You've, everything that I have has always been yours. Man, that's God. Everything God has, he shares with us. Not so that we can live in a big house, or drive a big car, none of that stuff. It's, it's just about being at a place where He is our provider. Being at a place where you don't feel a sense of lack in this dimension. And when you are at that place, when you are at a place knowing that God has placed His ring on your finger, that the Spirit of God, His Spirit lives within you. You are accepted. He is not holding your sin against you. He didn't have a counseling session with that guy that came home, with his son that came home. Man, he just threw his arms around him. This is my child. This is my son. You're saying that he excused his sin? Yeah, man, no. Let's talk about a spirit. Let's, that's spiritual. Love is spiritual. 
carnality wants to then drop down and start talking about the behavior and the sin issue and the this and the that and what's legal and what's not legal. And it's like, ah, that's all been fulfilled. If you really bring yourself up to the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus, that stuff is, it's, it's a non-issue. It's not even part of the conversation. I know that scares some people. <laughs> Probably the ones that were complaining about who Jesus was preaching to. But man, you know, spiritual, living spiritually with God is not popping off into some dimension where we don't make sense to the rest of the world, but that we know what kind of beings that we are and where we stand in the Father's house because of what Jesus has done. He's already given everything. He already shares everything with us. Let's trust in that as believers, as people that are in the house, and go get some people that are out of the house. Let's go out there into the world and show people just how good this God is because we are so confident in His love for us because we are so because it's so natural for us to just walk in this earth and just know that we are following Him, that all of that stuff that, that we've been doing for so long or trying to figure out how to engage with God, man, you know, you're, you already have it. We're chasing our tail. We're, we're trying to learn intellectual information that doesn't add up to anything. Because we have all of God inside of us already. And if we can live from that place, maybe the world's got a chance of us approaching them and bringing them back into this relationship with the Father. I feel like that that's where we are. I think that's where the body of Christ is. I think that's where we are as a church. It's like, you know what? It's time to live confidently in who you are in Christ. Quit doubting yourself, stay out of sin because it messes up your heart. Ask God for the grace to live that way because you don't need to be having these sin issues and these problems and this guilt and this condemnation lingering around you because that's what starts the spiral downward anyway and gets you questioning whether or not God even loves you. Some people even go so far as to question whether or not they're even saved. I'm not saying sin does that, but a hard heart does. Live confidently from His love for you, then love people. I'm telling you, if you have difficulty experiencing God's love for you, go love on somebody else unconditionally and watch what happens. Try to connect with somebody who's broken and, and encourage them and see what happens in you. Don't disqualify yourself because you don't think you know enough. You know how to love. The Spirit of God in you loves through you, and you're more than capable of living, representing God, because His love is alive in you. Man. The Bible's there. The Bible's not going anywhere. You can go on Google and find a scripture. You don't have to memorize all those scriptures. You realize that, right? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Like, we think we got to get there. You're there. If Jesus is in you, you're there. Just live from it. Love from it. Is that too slippery? <laughs> Father, we thank you.